Welcome to the Research Briefs Podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Streveler, Professor of Engineering Education in the College of Engineering at Purdue University. In Research Briefs, we'll speak with engineering education researchers about what their lives are like, what we're finding out, and how their research is being used. My guest today on Research Briefs is Dr. Jabin Zhu, Associate Professor in the School of Education at Shanghai Jiao Tong University in Shanghai, China. Dr. Zhu is the first graduate of the Purdue Engineering Education PhD program to be hired in China, and she's a pioneer in Chinese engineering education research. She is one of the most productive publication records in engineering education research in China. I had the pleasure of getting to know Dr. Zhu when she was in our PhD program at Purdue, and at that time, she used the English first name, Emily. For old time's sake, and so I don't murder the correct pronunciation of her name in Mandarin, I will refer to her as Emily in this podcast. As you'll see, Emily is a scholar who has had to navigate different cultural perspectives to conduct her research. For example, she'll be telling us about some of the research that used a conceptual framework that was created in the West, but then applied in China. And then she has to write in English, or also in Mandarin, but in English for the English-speaking audience as well as the Chinese audience. So she's bouncing back from English to Mandarin to English again. And as we all know, Language is just not words. There's a lot of culture um, also wrapped up in that. So today she'll share some of her findings, which are on leadership in um, Chinese industry. And she'll share with us how she balanced working with these different cultures. So Emily, thank you so much for being a guest. Um, You're just a delightful person, and I'm happy to have this opportunity to share you and your research with the Research Brief listeners. Hi, Ruth. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm very happy uh, to be here and with this opportunity to share with the audience. So most of the listeners are not as fortunate as I am to you know, already know you. So can you provide some context by telling us a bit about your journey to becoming an associate professor at Shanghai Jiao Tong University? Sure. Um, my education background is uh, in physics and then in engineering. And after I did my uh, biomedical engineering degree at Purdue, I continued uh, to get a PhD degree from the ENE department. And after that, I uh, joined the School of uh, Education at Shanghai Jiao Tong and from a new uh, assistant professor uh, to an associate professor. So it's a little, it's a long journey. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe there's a couple of the transition points you could tell us a little bit about. And one of them would be going from biomedical engineering into engineering education. Um, Mm -hmm. What was the catalyst for doing that? 
instead of just continuing and getting a PhD in biomedical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually enjoyed my biomedical engineering degree too. Um, I I liked the, the discipline and the research topic, but I I kind of see there a lot of problems with mm-hmm. the education, engineering education itself. But and also I think my personality actually makes me uh, more suitable to be an I would say in education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I find that your story is um similar and you know I, I don't have an engineering background but I have a science background and it was when I started teaching science mm-hmm. that it's like oh this is kind of interesting how does how does this whole thing work mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, right. you know you have a similar journey of like mm-hmm. hmm, what is this education thing yeah that's right mm-hmm. yeah and so when you got your PhD at Purdue did you always um just always have as a target returning to china to be a professor uh, not really but at, at the end of my phd journey uh, i got an invitation from a professor at shanghai jiaotong inviting me to join their program so i think oh that's that's an offer so maybe i'll just take it mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. i save a lot of trouble finding a job that isn't that wonderful. I love when that happens. <laughs> yes. And I'm I'm not surprised given the quality of your work that somebody would say, hey, we want to snap this person up and we want to thank you. <laughs> um, so speaking about your work, um, you had an article in the most recent issue of the Journal of Engineering Education, which the listeners have heard um, about this journal before, and the editor-in-chief, Lisa Benson, was a guest. So this is the July 2021 issue. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll have the full um, citation for the article on the uh, website that Purdue Engineering Education has for research briefs, but I'll still um, read the title out to people. So the title is Engineering Leadership in a Chinese Industry Context, an Exploration Using the Four Capabilities Model. And I, I wanted to um, give the title because it really encapsulates the different things that I want to talk to you about of taking this model, the four capabilities model, and then using it in the Chinese context. And I know navigating that is not a simple thing at all. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a bit about the article and kind of a, a bit how you made that navigation between the model and your context and then back to explaining it to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the paper starts with um, my students uh, and I, we were really interested in understanding uh, the, the, the experience and the perspectives of engineering professionals in a Chinese context, um, because, I mean, there are little uh, research uh, you can find a 
about this topic. So, and then, and we also want to know how such experience can inform the education practice. So that's our starting point. And then we are hoping that we could have some kind of guiding theoretical framework to guide the research because you know we we don't, we, we don't know how to uh, think about it right right but i mean i knew this um this uh framework it was developed in uh by an mit professor and it's developed in a more western context so it's not really in a in a chinese context so but then we use it more like uh, like a sensitizing con- concept. We it, it was used to guide our initial thoughts, initial interview questions, uh, the design of interview questions. I mean, the main points is to you know introduce the the the, the concepts, but not to frame the 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 responses. The model has uh, four. Uh, dimensions, sense making, in, inventing, relating, and visioning. And it also have that um, uh, personal characteristics, leadership uh, kind of characteristics in, in the middle. So mm-hmm. I think this framework actually give a very good uh, kind of guidance for our initial uh, framing of our uh, questions. And also, it also guide our uh, coding process. But also, uh, during the coding process, we try to remain open to any themes, you know, or categories that would emerge from the data instead of, you know, try to enforce a a theoretical framework to the data. Right. And of our approach to do this. Right. And I know that people um, often, as they're first starting um, to do engineering education research, they really struggle with figuring out, well, what is this framework thing and how do I select that? And Mm -hmm. I think you in the, I would really recommend people read your article because in it, I think you do a really good job of you know, explaining why you chose that particular framework. Um, and and in what you just said, also you explain well, oh yes, we're using the framework to guide our thinking and to begin to think about what kind of questions we want to ask people. But you don't want to be so locked in to the framework. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. That you're not, really listening even to what people are telling you. That's right. Yeah. So Emily, as you're taking this framework and then you need to create questions from it in Mandarin and actually interview people in Mandarin and you're then coding it obviously in Mandarin, but also thinking probably as you're doing that, how you're going to frame it in English, because one of the products you want to have is this English article. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that's really challenging. Um, So could you give us an example of some of the challenges you met and Mm -hmm. how did you, how did you navigate those challenges? Because obviously you successfully did. You have this article in 
the top tier journal in engineering education. So can you tell us more about that? What was your secret? Um, I think really we indeed met with some encountered some difficulties. I mean, like uh, as we uh, try to uh, understand this uh, framework, for example, the word or the concept of inventing, it's actually different from the the the, the word the word's original meaning of inventing. It actually has uh, more like I would say rich uh, meaning to it, mm-hmm. and and we were trying to understand it in in Chinese in in Mandarin, and also write it do the coding in Mandarin. So as we were doing this, we found we could actually uh, get more nuanced meaning from it. So we actually, um, uh, we, 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 we kind of interpreted uh, with different layers of, mean, mean, uh, of meaning, like one of them being creative problem solving. Uh, so it actually means like, like you come up with creative ways of doing things. It's part of inventing, but it's not that direct. You know, you, you would see that directly from this uh, concept of inventing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's through this process of going back and forth. So we really actually get a deeper understanding of the, the, the model and, and its demonstrations in the actual uh, experience of the Chinese uh, engineers. So I think this actually helped our thinking. Yeah. It's difficult, but it also helped us to go yeah, deeper. Get yeah. really rich. What's what's so fascinating is, you know, so you look at the um, the four themes of visioning, relating, inventing, sense making. And if you particularly look at the sense making part, mm-hmm. um, you know. People who create frames will say this word. They have something in mind. As we view those words, we think we understand. Mm-hmm. But it isn't until then you really try to either explain to somebody, even in the same language it was invented in, but then when you have to try to explain it in a different language, um, you do have to go in and what does this really mean and how does yeah. it translate to what you want to say, the language you want to use. And it's, again, it's much more than a word. Yeah, There's all of this history to it and the different context and a different shade of meaning to it. And well, you wouldn't say it exactly that way. You'd use this word in that context. And it's just so fascinating. It is, yeah. Uh, we actually have many of these moments of debating and you know just discussing. So, what does this concept really mean? Yeah. Now, in your team of students, are there anyone else who has a really as rich of an experience in the U.S. context as you? Or are you the only person in your team? I'm actually the only person because when I was doing this, uh, I have a couple of students, very brilliant 
graduate student work working with me, but not, none of them had actually been to yeah to the U.S. But they, I I actually supported them that they go they went to conferences in the U.S. but not like study for a long time. All right, right. So they've had some exposure. I know you really are a pioneer of engineering education research in China, and your example of maybe being one of the few people who really has a good understanding of the context in which some of these frameworks were created and explaining that to the Chinese audience? Because you want to not only obviously tell people in the U.S. about what's happening in China, you want to you want to bring some of the things you learned to China. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be that bridge between those two. Well, you don't have to be, but you are a good example of that bridge. One of the one of the strong supporting elements of that bridge between the two cultures. Um, what's that like being that bridge? Um. I think this this is a tough question. I never really thought about it, but I, I remember the time when I actually found it's like my aha moment. Oh, I'm like a bridge. I remember that moment. It's like, I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, I mean, it, it, it was difficult to be an associate. A, a new assistant professor, I, I guess, anywhere in the world, right, not just right. in China, but I mean, in the in the U.S., you have to get funding, you have to, you know, uh, build a research group, and uh, and I, and I also, I mean, I was educated in the, the U.S. context, and coming back, I need to learn the new research language, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, and also learn to ask. A research question that, that that is relevant and important in this context. So that's a lot of things that I was, I mean, I need to adjust to. But then I was reading this uh, paper by uh, published in the Chinese JE. It's called Research uh, of Higher Education in Engineering in China, RHEE. So it, it was written by the, the chief editor of this journal and his doctoral students. And they listed all the uh, Chinese scholars who are publishing ER internationally uh, in English. And then I was listed as the, the, the number two and the, 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 the top scholar uh, he is actually in educational technology. And I was like, really? I didn't really publish that much, I think. But then, I mean, and then I just realized, oh, maybe I am actually uh, telling stories of China. Uh, you know what's happening in engineering education in China to the world, and maybe that that's something that I can do. So that's my aha moment. So and and at the same time, they are I mean the research language in in China because of the organization of engineering education research, they are not really an independent 
department. They are housed often in the School of Education or the uh, the Department of Higher Education. So it does not have its independent organizational unit. And then, so the dominant research language or the tradition in, in the Chinese higher education is very macro level research. I mean, it, this kind of research would usually have a larger impact, mm -hmm. I would say, and, and people value, uh, value this kind of research more, but micro level teaching learning research is less uh, valued. So I do, but but that's that's really I think I could do something because it's very important research, right? I mean, you do research in. Uh, class level and you know all these learning activities and understand their impact this is something i mean th this of course in the western context there are numerous research here and you know by introducing a lot of these uh, to the chinese audience through my research i think that's something i i'm <laughs> also came to do. I mean, I'm actually actively doing it, mm -hmm. publishing mm -hmm. some of these, this kind of research in the Chinese journal in Mandarin. <laughs> yeah, so as you're explaining that, I'm just visualizing, you know, a new assistant professor and all of the struggles of identity that always happen when you're new. Yeah. Of, of, and like, you know, really, what am I, you know, who, who am I as a researcher? And mm -hmm. then seeing, oh, my goodness, I really am a leader. And I'm just starting. Yeah. So you have this paradoxical, probably yeah. feeling of like, inside you feel so new. Mm -hmm. But then to the outer world, they're looking mm -hmm. to you as a leader. And mm -hmm. um, I, I think this idea of, um, of that kind of having that paradoxical identity is fairly common for our engineering education PhD graduates who go places where like mm -hmm. they're the only person that does this research yeah. in their, maybe in their institution. And so yeah. people look to you like you know everything, but you know, you only know this little sliver. Yeah. Maybe not that well. You know, they always say the, the, yeah. the truly smart person knows how dumb they are in so many areas, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, startling you know i know that's very startling and then and then you have this added pressure as mm -hmm. feeling you're the bridge so how do you cope with that pressure mm. i i actually i don't view it as a pressure i think it's a great um how do, how do i say this i think it's it's an opportunity to 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 do things to contribute i think it's an opportunity for us or at least for me as a ene graduate to contribute because i mean when i graduate 
and come back to China, I realized that I'm the, the first Yeni graduate to come back to China. I feel very much pressured because I don't know how to start. Mm -hmm. So that's what I really felt at that time. I don't really feel the pressure of a bridge. I just feel all the pressure of Oh, I don't know how to start. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the research paradigm is not that appreciated yet. And all the, 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 the uh, research languages, traditions that I need to get familiar with. So I don't really feel that pressure of a breach yet. Mm -hmm. But when the aha moment comes to me, I was like, Oh, that, that that's that's when I feel that that's my niche. That's that's the places where I contribute. So I think it's really something that I want to help. If that's um, I, I don't I don't see that as a pressure because I'm also right now actually uh, serving in the uh, ring board uh, mm -hmm. and also um, acting. Um, I'm, I'm also serving in the IEEE um, editorial board and the JE editorial board. And in most of places, I feel I, I'm probably the only representative from mainland China. Maybe in some of them, we have more, uh, more people. But I still found that somewhere I, I'm trying, I'm learning, but I'm, I'm seeing this as opportunities where I could contribute. But maybe not that much pressure. So, so what I'm hearing you say then is that you've been able to kind of reframe that idea of being the bridge and not mm -hmm. viewing it as pressure, but really an opportunity mm -hmm. um, to contribute. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you want to say a little bit about um, the REEN, which is what the Research and Engineering Education Network? Is that, yeah, am I remembering right? What, it is. Um, and so that's a, a, a an international body. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to say a little bit about that entity, REEN, and what it does and uh, it's a global uh, platform uh, to build uh, engineering education research capacity uh, internationally. Mm -hmm. So, Emily, I know people are really curious about what you found when you did your research and you took this model and adapted it or thought that you would be open to adapt it. What did you actually find both about the four capabilities model itself and about leadership in the industrial setting in China? Yeah, I think um, there are two things I want to highlight here. Of course, there are a lot of findings, but I, I would say the main things is um, there are a lot of similarities that we found in terms of the capabilities or the attitudes. Um, they are actually quite, um, I wouldn't say universal, but they are actually quite transferable to the Chinese context, like, um, like problem solving and a lot of uh, themes uh, in sense making, you need to really making sense of the context and construct 
a context, con con constructing the, con uh, the context and respond to changes. And a lot of these things, I think they are quite, maybe in a sense, uh, quite transferable because they are, I would say they are engineering. They are not US or they are, they are not Chinese, they are engineering. So that's why I think they are pretty common and, and you need to relate to people. You need to, um, you know, do team building. It's just similar in both contexts. And that's one of the key findings. I think a lot of these attributes and capabilities are actually quite uh, similar. And the second one is uh, during this, um, the, the, the coding, we actually found that the theme of inventing is very central to engineers daily work, at least in this context. So that's why we move inventing to the center. But a lot of the cap um, the personal attributes part like being uh, very positive, responsible, I think these are more uh, related to personality. So that's why we actually move that part to the background. And, and we, we think that this um, innovative problem solving or inventing is actually very central to the, the engineer's work. Yeah, that's. So what I find so fascinating about that is that by being able to compare this model in two different contexts, mm -hmm. you're able to perhaps get some insight into what might be like a central theme of something. Yeah, that's if, right. Mm -hmm. if, if something is applicable in this context and in a very different context, it's like, oh, that's important. That's yeah. foundational. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Of course, we also found some like different differences. Uh, I think, say, communication. I think they are something that's very cultural specific, but they are things that's kind of transcends culture. I think these are very core. But for, like I said, um, in communication, uh, in the Chinese culture, we have this silence as gold, right? And then people are would view silence as being, being silent as wise. So even in an engineering team, they need a specific mechanism to make people share their ideas. I found, I mean, one of my interviewees, I found that's interesting because it's, I think it's just a culture thing. It's not, it's not like very transferable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So was it hard then to have people it must be difficult then to figure out the kind of question you need to ask to elicit a response. If being silent is wise, then you might think people would feel they were wise if they didn't tell you much. So how do you how do you get people to open up in that kind mean, of context? Oh, you mean uh, interview in general? Yeah. Um, actually, that's why we, we, we have this interview protocol in the first place. And um, I actually do a lot of in-depth interview and uh, try to build connections and form this uh, good relationship so that we can uh, uh, 
carry out this conversation. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't be in a situation where you would think, hey, I can go talk to somebody for 10 minutes and find out something, you know? Uh, no. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, you, I, 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 it's, it's all through professional networks, someone introduced someone, so snowballing, it's not like you can just go out and ask someone, that's right. not going to work. <laughs> no, yeah. no. And also, I know this is the same in the US as well. It's mm-hmm. not easy to find participants in industry who will be willing to talk to people because Often mm-hmm. folks in industry really don't want to reveal that much to the outside world about their industry. I think mm-hmm. that is something pretty universal, actually, mm-hmm. um, yeah, as right. well, as well. So you had to do a lot of groundwork, I'm sure, yeah, to be right. able to do yeah. this. Yes, yeah. yes. So I always like to end the podcast with... Um, the guest giving some advice to the listeners. And in this particular case, because you've done this very um, difficult work of being this navigator of different cultures, what advice would you have for researchers that also want to do that same kind of work? Not necessarily Um, between the U.S. and China, but in a different way. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, from my experience, I mean, regarding to research, uh, maybe try to ask uh, questions that are, that are appropriate and significant for the specific context would be important. Uh, for example, like in the U.S., uh, a lot of people study uh, students' motivation and, and try to increase the pool for STEM students. But I mean, in China, that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. There are many uh, STEM students. So if, tried, if a person tried to ask that question in a Chinese context, so that, that, that's just not very useful. Right. Or it won't get funded. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. So that's my first thoughts. And I think uh, as the the, the research unfold, I would usually, I would think it's important to pay attention to the commonalities or that, that, that the themes that could, could be uh, transferable to other contexts. Look, look, uh, just focus on what's common in the, in the research. Yeah, especially if one is thinking about doing cross-cultural research. And I would try to look for things that's common across context. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, I would also pay attention to the nuanced uh, findings that would be culture specific, uh, like the, the, the example that I give, that would be more uh, culture specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think your... Uh work is a really good example of needing to be sensitive to the fact that things like conceptual models are created in a cultural context. They are actually a a cultural element. They're not something that's like separate, a separate reality. Definitely. Definitely. I, I would totally agree with you. I mean, we actually 
um, that's that's something interesting because I mean in our department a lot of students would use would adopt some conceptual framework that's being developed in the, the Western context, but then use it as if it's just applicable. So uh, one of the most uh, frequent questions that we would ask is, I mean, but why, how, how do you think that can fit? In what ways? So I think our students also need to have that uh, sensitivity. And I mean, I'm very much just uh, want to remain alert to this. I mean, frameworks, it was created in a particular context. They are not I mean, readily transferable. I don't think that way. And yeah. Well, Emily, it, it, as always, it's a delight to speak with you, and I'm glad you. that we are able to uh, let more people in the world know about the research that you do. Thank and you. I know you will keep being a leader um, and keep being a bridge. And thank you so much. I'll try. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Bye. You are very welcome. Research Briefs is produced by the School of Engineering Education at Purdue. Thank you to Patrick Vogt for composing our theme music. A transcript of this podcast can be found by Googling Purdue Engineering Education Podcast. And please check out my blog, ruthstreveler.wordpress.com.